So I want to continue our series, Soul Train. We've been talking about this issue, the, the dynamic of the Holy Spirit and the difference the Holy Spirit makes in our life. We talked a few weeks ago about God's promise of power and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and, and what that means. We've discussed the reality of both a great advocate and a great adversary and the reality of spiritual warfare, knowing that we don't have to be anxious as it relates to spiritual warfare, that we don't have to live our life in fear because we have this power of God, right? And we have this power to which we can take our stand against the schemes of the devil. And remember this, that power inevitably will impact you. Schemes will only impact you if you allow them, right? And greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Last week, we talked about this issue, the demonstration of power, and that God wants us to walk with the demonstration of power, that signs and wonders will follow them that believe. This morning, I will tell you, if I could speak one message in this entire series, it would be this message. Because I believe it's, it's, it is critical for the church to understand it. And it's critical for the church to understand it because when Jesus made the declaration and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he went on to say this, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's what we're called to do. That's what we're, that's what we're called to be. In 1954, Dr. Seuss penned his book, Horton Hears a Who. And we're, we're introduced to this, this wonderful, playful elephant and uh, his interesting cast members. Among them, there's Jane and Junior. Jane is a kind of a, a sour kangaroo. Junior is a little kangaroo that lives in the pouch, right? We're introduced to Vlad Vladikov. Vlad Vladikov, he's this cantankerous eagle. We, 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 we see these crazy monkeys, right? And it, it, hopefully you remember the story. Let me, let me give, it, give it to you. Horton, as he's, as he's just playing along, he hears this sound coming from a speck. And it, it is of interest to him, and he realized that this is coming from something that is a, a living thing, and, and he discovers that actually on this speck, it's actually a, a tiny planet. And he puts this speck on this clover because he realizes that people live on this speck. And he, he sets out to protect the speck, but the rest of the animals in the animal kingdom thinks he's absolutely crazy, right? Junior and Jane, they mock him. The monkeys chase after him, and he runs. And he tries to protect the speck that's on the clover, only to have Vlad Vladikov, this mean cantankerous eagle, take the clover. Take it, fly very high, and then drop it in a field of clovers. He looks frantically. He finally finds the right clover, and he finds the speck. But Junior, Jane, and the monkeys have caught up with him. And they tie Horton up. And then they threaten to take this clover with a speck on it and drop it in bezel nut oil. That's the worst, right? And the mayor of Whoville challenges all the Who's to yell, We are here. We are here. We are here. They're all yelling, and yet it seems to be no avail until finally the mayor discovers that Jojo this little shirker that's playing with a yo-yo instead of yelling. 
And so the mayor takes Jojo up to the top of Eiffelberg Tower. And finally, little Jojo yells out a yop. And it's his little yop that causes the animals to hear and to realize something is there. This morning, I want to talk to you about the power of one little yop. The power of one little yop. Because here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced that today, we live in a time, we live in a place where the world needs to hear one little yop. I'm further convinced that God wants you to take the role of Jojo and to give that one little yop. Take your Bibles and turn to Acts, the fourth chapter. And we're going to look at a scripture that we talked about last week. We talked about last week when uh, at the beginning of Acts chapter 4, uh, we, we find this, that Peter and John, they are appearing before the Sanhedrin, right? They're, they're, they're appearing before the Sadducees. And the, so Sad, the Sadducees are explaining to them, listen, we, we can't have you creating all this commotion. And so what we're going to do is this, is we're going to let you go but we can't have you continuing to talk about this Jesus character. We can't have you, can't have you continuing to stir up a commotion. So what we're going to do is we're going to let you go, but we're going to ask you to, to, to be silent, right? And Peter and John, uh, it tells us this, that in, in Acts chapter 4, it, it tells us this, that on their release, Acts 4 starting in verse 23, it says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you have made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You have spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David, who said, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders to the name of your holy servant Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Father, let what happened in these days, in the moments of the genesis of the church, let this same reality be echoed in the church today. Let us have such a strong expression of your Holy Spirit. Let us have such a strong connection with your presence that our prayer would echo the prayer that we see of your children here recorded in Acts chapter 4. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to walk with you, and we commit this to you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. This was a group of people that they were absolutely committed to seeing God move in a profound way. And, and here's what I want you to notice. I want you to notice this, that the result of their action had far-reaching impact. This small group of followers, they would change the culture of the community around them. They would change the culture of a region. 
It would ultimately impact and revolutionize a world. And it all starts with God, give us the strength to be bold. Give us the strength to be bold. And I want you to notice what happens when we walk with the Spirit, when we live with the Spirit, the influence and the impact that it has. And, and let, me, let, me, let me say this. Let me offer this. Let me offer this caution. Here has been my experience. My experience has been that the church, specifically the Pentecostal church, that we have been strong on experience, but we've been weak on culture. Let me say that again. We've been strong on experience. We've been weak on culture. And, and even some of, the, some of the things that in recent days have been branded as revival, I would have a hard time referring to them as revival. And I would have a t- hard time referring to them as revival because I don't believe they meet the threshold that we find scripturally. And that threshold we find in Acts chapter 4. Because, friend, the power of God is available for you today. Not only is the power of God available for you today, He wants you to walk in that power. He wants you to live in that power. Signs and wonders shall follow them that believe. See, I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that each and every one of us today, that we should walk in the power of God, that we should walk in the presence of God, that we should walk in the anointing of God. I'm convinced that each and every person here today should be actively embracing and actively engaging in spiritual gifting. I believe that every day you you should be praying in the Spirit and with understanding. That every day you should be singing in the Spirit and with understanding. I believe that every day you should be walking with words of wisdom and words of knowledge being commonplace in your daily experience. I believe this. I believe that prophetic expressions should be a regular part of the occasion of the church and us doing life and living life together. It's part of the ebb and flow of who we are in God. However, let me say this, before you shout too loud, before you amen too much, here's what I find. I find this, that the vast majority of time that we operate in Pentecostal circles, here's what we find. We find a whole lot of pursuit of the gifts of the Spirit, not very much expression of the fruit of the Spirit. And, and when we look at what happens in Acts chapter 4, here's what we find. We find this. They didn't just move in boldness. They didn't just look for signs and wonders. See, Pentecost has a purpose to it. Let me say this again. Pentecost has a purpose to it. And it, it is impossible to walk in the Spirit, live in the Spirit, and not be impacted by the Spirit. I'm convinced, friends, that this is the reason why so much of what is branded as Pentecost today is rejected by the bulk of mainstream culture and mainstream Christianity because it doesn't line up with the totality of the Word of God. And we live in a city that is the number seven most unchurched city in America. We live in a community that is the number four most de-churched community in America. And today, God is calling you to cry out, we are here, we are here, we are here. 
God is calling you to be heard. We are here. We are here. We are here. And the message that God has for his city, for his region, for his state, for his nation, for his world, for his creation, it's not a message of condemnation. It's not, it's also not a message of if it feels good, do it. It's a message of genuine connection with a loving God that makes a difference in our world today. This should come as no surprise to us. Jesus, in his first recorded public message, said this, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. And, and we're, we're called to be that. We're called to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. So when, when the presence of the Holy Spirit is evident, how does it influence us? Well, let's look at Acts chapter 4. It tells us this. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the, world of, the Word of God boldly. Here's what we find. We find this. When we're living in the Spirit, when we're walking in the Spirit, when we are Spirit-led, courage replaces fear. Courage replaces fear. It's interesting, I, as, I was, as I was driving in today, the Baptist church right up on the corner, they've got a sign out there and it says this. It says, courage is fear that has been prayed over. So that's a great, that's a great statement. Courage is fear that has been prayed over. It is it is amazing to me how simple acts of courage, how they have changed the trajectory of mankind, and how a single act of courage can be the tipping point for massive change. In 1955, Rosa Parks didn't get on a bus saying, I'm going to spark a cultural revolution. She didn't get on that bus and say, I'm going to energize the civil rights movement. She simply got on that bus and said, I'm looking for a place to sit. And when told she couldn't sit in the seat that she was sitting in, that she had to get to the back of the bus, she said, you know what? This is not right. It's not right. It's not right. Her goal wasn't to have her name written in history books. Her, name, her goal wasn't to have some preacher talk about her in 2017. She simply was engaging in a simple act of courage. And that simple act of courage, even though even recent events of this week show that we as a nation have a long way to come, we must not... We must not simply close our eyes to the amazing progress we have made. And we've made that. We've seen extraordinary change because of one person being willing to say no. A handful of people in Egypt say, I'm not going to leave this square. And it topples the government. 
In Tiananmen Square, one man stands in front of a tank and he turns an army away. In a valley, one young boy steps out to confront a giant. In Jerusalem, one zealous guy decides he's going to listen. Sees his name change from Saul to Paul. He decides he's going to get on a boat to take the reality of who Jesus is around the world. We see it over and over and over again. The single act of courage that becomes the tipping point for extraordinary change. In the early days of youth ministry, there was a a girl in our church that she was, to say that she was timid would be an understatement. To call her socially awkward would be kind. She sat with her mother, didn't make eye contact with anyone, and kept completely to herself. She cut her own hair. She made her own clothes. She she stood out in the crowd not because she looked the part. She stood out in the crowd because she just didn't fit in. She was not someone that people would be attracted to. She was someone that was easily made fun of. Carrie. Our youth group at that time was having this competition. And uh, among the different aspects of the competition was to see who could get the most people to come. Uh, the prize was a big, big, big a uh, big pizza and pool party. And so I encouraged two of our junior high girls to get this girl, Carrie, to come to church or to come to youth group on Wednesday night. Pastor, we don't want to talk to her. She's weird. Yeah, we're all normal until you get to know us, and then you discover we're all weird. That's true, right? See, all of y'all, from a distance, you look completely normal, okay? The more I get to know you, hmm, not so much. And uh, come on now, you know I'm speaking the truth in love. So I, I told them, I said, I said, listen, I will give your team a massive amount of bonus points if you get this girl, Carrie, to come on Wednesday night. And so they go up and they sit by her, they, they talk to her, and they finally convince her to come. And she shows up on Wednesday night. And then I, I tell these girls, I say, now look, you now have a responsibility. You've got her to come. You need to, you need to make sure that she continues to come. And Carrie did. Carrie continues to show up. Something happened. Something just triggered in her. And the next thing you know, Carrie is bringing friends to our Wednesday night youth ministry. She's bringing Two, three, four, ten, twelve, twenty, forty, a hundred. 
Let me tell you what she did, which I don't approve of, but I'm going to tell you what she did. <clears throat> she, she would hang out by the locker of the most popular boy in her high school. Captain of the high school football team, I mean, he played the part. And she, and she, she said, she, he said, why are you hanging out by my locker? And she said, because you need to go to church with me. And he goes, I don't even know you. You're some weird girl. And she goes, listen, if you don't go to church with me, I'm going to tell everyone okay, that you took me out on a date and you were not a gentleman. He goes, you wouldn't. She goes, oh, yes, I will. And so because she, because she put him in that awkward position, he goes, fine, I'll show up at your church one time to get you to get off my back, right? Um, and so, uh, so he shows up, um, a buster, big dude, big dude, scary dude. Uh, but he shows up on Wednesday night and gives his, gives his heart, heart to the Lord, and, and it just continues just to snowball and snowball and snowball and snowball and snowball. And we saw hundreds of teenagers come to know Christ because this one girl that basically nobody would have given the time of day, something sparked in her, and she became convinced that I can make a difference. See, when the, when the presence of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, here's what we find. We find this over and over again. We find it in Acts chapter 2. We find it in cha- Acts chapter 3. We ch- find it in Acts chapter 4. We find it in Acts chapter 6. There, there, there's this courage that happens. Why? Because we know this, that he, who's, he who's that, was, that is within us is greater than he that is in, within the world. We know this, that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. We know this, that we are more than conquerors through Christ. We know this, that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, right? We come to understand these principles. We come to embrace these truths. And hopefully, the result is this, is that we live them out. But true spirit-led living, courage is going to replace fear. I'm going to live out my faith. Well, what if living out my faith causes me to lose my job? Your job is not your source. It's simply a resource that God uses to bless you. And make no mistake, God has plenty of resources because ultimately he is the source. And so we will live our life, spirit-led living, we will live our life where courage replaces fear. Right? We, We see this over and over and over again, what's echoed in Acts 4.31, and they spoke the word of God boldly. But, but not only is there a courage, here's what we find. We find this, that any time the presence of the Holy Spirit is really moving, there's not just courage, there's also an issue of community that is developed. And this, this community has influence right? There's a sense of of connectedness. Notice this next verse. It says this, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possession was his own, but they shared everything they had. They moved from a selfishness to a selflessness. And whether we want to acknowledge it or not, we are a profoundly selfish people. 
See, this issue of selfishness, selfishness can sometimes be misconstrued. People think that selfishness is about me wanting things for me. But that's not, that, that's just a small little part of selfishness, okay? If you live your life in self-pity, you're selfish. If you live your life constantly in a, in a, in a, in a self-deprecating disposition, that's still selfish. And any time the focus is on you, when you walk into a room and you engage in conversation, do you constantly look to turn the conversation towards you? Is, is it important when you're engaged in activity that you individually are acknowledged? Self-promotion, self-grandizement, um, self-abasement, self-seeking, all of that is selfish. Anything that brings focus to self is selfish. And God wants to move us from focusing on ourselves to focusing on Him. And we can only do that when we have the understanding that God's got us. I can breathe. You know why? I can breathe because I know that God protects my identity. I can breathe. You know why? Because I know that God has my security. I can breathe. You know why? Because I know that God promises to meet my every need. I can breathe because I know that God is my protector. And, and, and when, I, when I have that understanding, when the, when the presence of the Holy Spirit brings this confirmation of God in my life, it wonderfully positions me to where I don't have to worry about protecting myself or promoting myself or providing for myself. I can walk with the realization that God is my pr promoter, protector, and provider. And instead, I have this freedom to not simply be focused on me, 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 me. I can live the life that God has called me to live. I can, I can embrace scriptures like, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. We're to do these things for their benefit. I can... I can walk in, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. I, I don't have to worry about storing up stuff for myself. Instead, I can recognize that it's a wise thing to store up for myself treasures in heaven. And, and I can embrace this issue of, this issue of koinonia. And, and, and doing that, when I, when I walk in courage, we are here. And I live my life in community. There are over 30 commandments in this Bible that God challenges you, encourages you, that says that it's important for you to fulfill in order to live the life that he's called you to live that you cannot fulfill alone. The Bible was not written to a person, it was written to a people. Let me say that again. I want that to sink in. The Bible was not written to a person. It was written to a people.
And the lion's share of the directives that you see in Scripture are given to a people, not a person. The lion's share of the promises that you find, over 7,000 promises in the Word of God, they're given to a people, not to a person. And we're called to do this thing together. That's why God's Word says things like, We are to spur one another onto good deeds and good works. Why we are to encourage one another and build each other up, even as we are in the habit of doing. By the way, tangentially, this is the reason why the Word of God talks about the issue of the protocol of authority and why you are to walk under authority. Why it comes against things like the Jezebel spirit that that seeks to subvert authority. We're to walk in healthy community one with another. And when we do this, when we live a life of courage, you see in Acts 4.31, and they, and, and they walked in boldness. We live this out in community. They shared everything they had. Listen to this. Look at what it, look at what it tells us. Acts 4.33, it says this. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Here's what we find. We find this. That the presence of the Holy Spirit, it brings a sense of courage, and courage that will replace fear. It draws us together in community. And that, that community impacts our culture. That community impacts our culture. That community impacts our culture. In 2001, the idea of sex happening between an unmarried man and woman, in 2001, 53% of Americans polled said it was okay. In 2014, 66% said it was okay. Doesn't seem like much of a rise until you realize that only 19% of Americans 55 or older considered it to be acceptable. Seventy-nine percent of Americans in the 18 to 34 age group did. Divorce, 59 percent, 2001 said divorce is fine. 2014, it jumped to 69 percent. Having a baby outside of a marriage was acceptable by by 45 percent of the population in 2001, by 58 percent of the population in 2014. Using human embryos for stem cell research 52% in 2001, 65% in 2014. Sixteen percent of Americans 55 and older consider pornography to be morally acceptable, while 59% of Americans in the 18 to 34-year-old age group do. 
And here's the result. 18% of all women in the United States say that they have been raped at some point in their life. It is estimated that one out of every four girls will be sexually abused before they become adults. Approximately one-third of the entire population of the United States currently has an STD, according to the CDC. In the United States, more than half of all couples move in together before they get married. And for women under the age of 30 in the United States, more than half of all babies are born out of wedlock. At this point, approximately one out of every three children in the United States lives in a home without a father. And right now, there are over 70 million Americans that are addicted to mind-altering drugs of one form or another. See, we live in a world where culture has changed It's changed even in the last 15 years. And it's continuing to change. In the 1950s, our role models were Wally and the Beave. Right? It was Ozzy and Harriet. Tune in to media today. And watch shows like Orange is the New Black and and talk about who our heroes are today. And the church is living in the dark. And God says this, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And no one influences culture worldwide like America. And friends, no one influences culture in America like the church. I'm not asking for a return of the moral majority. I'm not asking that we take a position where we talk about all the things that we're against. Because you're ready, you might want to write this down. That doesn't work. What's interesting to me is in the great revivals, they didn't legislate morality. In the great revivals, they didn't talk about all the things that they were against. What they did was they introduced people to this man named Jesus. They introduced people to the power of the Holy Spirit. And in the Wesleyan revivals, pubs were closed down, brothels disappeared. Why? Because as as they connected with a life-changing God, the desire for those things went away, and the need for those things went away. The great Azusa Street revival, I... I sat Friday afternoon in Los Angeles at the point of the Azusa Street Revival. It's an alley today. But I sat there for an extended period of time Friday afternoon and I I prayed. I said, God, let the same thing that happened here at the beginning of the 1900s, God, let this same presence fall on my city today. And what amazes me about the Azusa Street Revival is this. People didn't see color of skin. 
They didn't see size of bank account. They, they, didn't, they didn't care what your address was or your level of education. It wasn't about what you were wearing. It also wasn't about whether or not you had a ring on your finger or your skirt was long enough. It wasn't about whether or not you fit with the way you presented yourself and what you had to offer, whether or not you fit in the club. No. As the Holy Spirit began to move, people began to walk with this holy boldness. And a determination to genuinely love the people around them. And that community became so strong that it started to change the world around them. The crime rate in our city is way too high. The answer is not more police or, 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 or tougher laws. The answer is Jesus. The moral decadence in our city is alarming. What we don't need is this, is we don't need pickets. We certainly don't need riots. What we need is we need Jesus. The influences in our city It is frightening. It is disconcerting that Orlando is known more today by what happened at Pulse than about any element of Pentecost. And in fact, if you want to talk about church in Orlando culture, people want to talk about the high-profile failures that we've had. And not about the impact that Jesus has had in our city, in our region, in our state, in our nation, in our world. How is it that the church gets so far from that? We get so far from that when we seek an individualistic approach to God. And when we chase after the power and not the purpose. If you go back and you look at the last three messages that I have preached here, it is very obvious that I want us to be an, overt, an overtly Pentecostal church. I believe this. I believe that God wants to use you in signs and wonders. I believe that each and every one of you have a spiritual gift that God wants to energize within you. That you should be daily operating in expressions of healing. That you should be daily living with a spiritual language that God should be using you and speaking the prophetic into people's lives. Operating with words of wisdom, words of knowledge. I, I believe this, that God has placed within you gifts of administration that will help the body of Christ go forward. Gifts of hospitality that will help people feel connected. And I can't talk about 
spiritual gifts without talking about this. I believe that God has gifted a number of you in here with an entrepreneurial spirit and a spirit of generosity because, listen, God wants this church to be doing much more than what it's currently doing, and God's going to flow that resource through you, and God's going to flow that resource through your business to help the church go forward. And I say that unashamedly, not that I'm trying to get into your pocket, but we've got important things to do here because our city desperately needs it, because our region desperately needs it, because our state desperately needs it, because our nation desperately needs it, because the world today desperately needs it. But what we cannot be is we cannot be a church that chases Pentecost and wants a wonderful emotional experience around an altar. And we walk into the lobby and we hate our brother. And we go into the street and we condemn things publicly that we do privately. Because let me tell you what Pentecost looks like. And they spoke the word word boldly. And they had everything in common. No one had a need. Because when it came to the needs in the body, when it came to the needs in the community, the church was the first to act. That's true Pentecost. That's true Pentecost. That's true Pentecost. The reason I'm convinced that Calvary has had the journey that it's had is this. I'm convinced that from the inception of this church in the 1950s that God has had his hand upon it. And the enemy has thrown all sorts of things against this church. Success and failure. You want to talk about the things that the, that the church can go through? Calvary has experienced a lot of them. You want to talk about people being burned and hurt by a church? Calvary has hurt a lot of people over the years. We have had high-profile moral failures. In the late 1970s, one of the biggest moral failures in the history of, of Christendom in that time happened the pastor of this church. And he's not the only one. Issues of racism, this church has been right in the middle of it. And there are a lot of people that would be shocked to walk into Calvary today and to see the diversity that's here. Shocked. They would have said, never, never going to happen. Pride? If you don't think Calvary's dealt with pride, step outside and take a look at this building. And yet in the midst of all of that, God said this, I love my children, I love my church. I love this city. I love this region. So let me say this. You are in a church right now that on a Sunday morning, we can put 4,000 people in this room. It is rare on a Sunday that we have more than a thousand. 
in the sanctuary. What that tells me is that we have an unfinished task. Let me go a step further. You are sitting in a church that has approximately $70 million in asset and no debt. That is significantly unprecedented. We, we pay all of our bills. Let me tell you where we're at in 2017. As of last Sunday, our giving is $302,000 over what we had projected for the year, at this point in the year. So year to date, we're $302,000 over in giving. Now, can I tell you as a pastor, I'm grateful for that. It's a whole lot easier to be $302,000 over than it is $302,000 under. But I also carry the weight of this. Because the Bible says this. It says, to whom much is given, much is required. And, and I look at, at, at all the enemy has thrown at our church in our almost 80 years of existence. And we still stand. And we don't just stand. We stand strong. And we're growing stronger every day. This church is growing numerically. Our ministry footprint in the city is growing larger every day. I, I had another pastor in the area call me this past week. Actually, he didn't call me. He texted me this past week. And he said, Pastor, I want you to know this. I believe that God has spoken to me, and I believe that your church is going to double in the next year. And I responded back, and I said, I received that. And listen, I know this. I know that God is wanting to do something significant. But here's what it's going to take. It's going to take you being Pentecostal. Okay? That doesn't just mean speaking in a different language. That doesn't just mean raising your hands in worship. It doesn't just mean coming to an altar. It means living your life with courage. And being courageous, not just in here, but being courageous out there. You are surrounded by people who are unchurched and dechurched. There's no way, unless you are retired, living at home under a rock, that you're not interacting with unchurched, dechurched people. And the Word of God says this, that we're supposed to go out into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. Compel them. With courage. Being bold. Not obnoxious, but being bold. And as they come, when they experience genuine community, that we genuinely care for one another, And care enough about them that we're going to help them connect. Let me speak practically about this. I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that there are 50 of you in here today that you're supposed to be hosting a new small group in your home. And, and, and listen, that's just the start. We're going to need hundreds of small groups for everyone that comes in. And the only way big church works is if, 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 small, if, 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 if that is if small church takes place. 
There are those of you that are here and you come every Sunday morning, and please understand this, I'm glad you're here, but you come Sunday morning, you experience, you drop drop a few dollars in the offering plate and then you leave. It's time for you to take the next step, which is going to require some courage on your part. You're supposed to be involved in a ministry. You're supposed to be driving a bus to pick up some homeless people once a month. You're supposed to be teaching a class. You're supposed to be helping pass an offering bucket. You're supposed to be with a team that goes out on Friday night and passes out water to a bunch of drunks. You're supposed to be part of the group that goes and fixes an elderly person's toilet. Because that's what the church is. It's much more than what you experience here on Sunday morning. And the church, to be the church, has to operate in courage, community, impacting culture. It is undeniable. We see it there in Acts chapter 4. So my challenge you today is this. Be full of the Spirit. Embrace earnestly desire, 1 Corinthians 14 says, spiritual gifts. But in that disposition and expression of spiritual gifts, let's also have this posture. God, here I am. Here I am. God, the plan that you have for my life The plan that you have for my life, I'm all in. However you want to use me. There's a there's a man, I'm gonna butcher his name. I know I'm gonna butcher his name. Um, So there's a man whose name is something like (laughs) um, Yatsumura Yumuri. He's a 72-year-old engineer in Japan. And the tsunami that hit Japan that took out the nuclear reactor, right? Even after they got all that settled, there was all this cleanup that had to be done. And he was watching as these young men were being sent in to this nuclear power plant to clean up this mess. And it hit him. He said, you know what? I'm 72 years old. I've lived a great life. These are young men with families. So he said this. He said, wait a minute. He goes, don't send them in. Here am I. Send me. And not only did he go himself, but he put the word out. And he created, I wish I could remember what it was called, (laughs) the Senior Skilled Working Force. And he recruited 400 other workers and engineers that were older that would be willing to go in. He said this, I'm I'm a 72-year-old cancer survivor. At 72 years old now, if I get cancer as a result of radiation, what's the harm? But he said, "For for 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 a man who's who's raising a family, 
for a mother that needs to be there for her children? He said, choose me. Choose me. He stands in in stark contrast to all those who have said this. I've put in my time. I've put in my time. Can't tell you how many times I've heard that in the church world from people. I've put in my time. I've taught Sunday school. I've led Royal Rangers. I've worked VBS. I've done it. I'm I'm, going to help you. Are you ready? I want you to do something. Go like this. Come on. Do you have a pulse? If you have a pulse, you have a purpose. I'm going to say it again. If you have a pulse, you have a purpose. And do not, do not say, I wish my church would be more Pentecostal. If you're not willing to live your life with courage. Doing this together as community. And as God's army impacting our culture, impacting our world. Because that's what true Pentecost is. And that's that's my prayer for this church. I, I want signs and wonders. I, I, man, I, I want people saved, delivered, and healed around this altar. I, I, I want people to experience the power of God like they've never experienced it before. But I'm not willing to be at the forefront of another historical event where people talk about spiritual expression and the end result is culture isn't changed and the church is just left weaker. And we have churches, there's a a spot 55 miles from us. Church sanctuary that set 9,000. Supposedly in the 1980s, one of the great charismatic churches in America that two years ago they bulldozed. I, I think God wants more. I think God wants more. I think God wants more. And what God is doing here, and what God is preparing us for here, even all this resource that God has poured into us, because how massive God is about stewardship, listen, God is positioning this church. And he's already doing something amazing. But but what he's doing now, it pales in comparison to what God is bringing to us. But it's going to require us to live courageously, to be connected as a community and to be determined to change our culture. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.